Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. So for 2019, uh, we mentioned this in an earlier episode, a little bonus episode of our Mm -hmm. winter break, but uh, in 2019, we want Sandbox to be more of an interactive conversation than it has been in the past. Yeah, podcasts can kind of be one-sided in so many ways. We sit here in the studio and and look at each other and... (laughs) It's really as bad as you'd think. <laughs> but no, I mean, we want to have a conversation. And so how do we do that? We have a question that, we, that we're asking, and we'd love to hear your answer. Yeah. So we want to know, what do you wonder about? Uh, what inspires curiosity? What questions do you have for us? Or what questions do you want us to tackle? Uh, we really, really want to know what question you would ask. And it's really easy to ask the question. Here's how you can do it. You can either send us a message on social media. Uh, you can email us at, and here it comes, podcast at sandboxcooperative.com. Or you can call and leave us a voice message at 507 722 1086. That's 507 722 1086. And that is exactly what our friend Kelly did. And we'll get to that in a, in a few minutes here. But for now, welcome to episode 80. You are good just as you are. Welcome to the Sandbox. So, as we mentioned, we got a call from our friend Kelly. She left a voicemail, and here's what she had to say. Hello, Dave and Sandbox Cooperative. This is Kelly Lesser, your favorite Packer fan calling. Um, I'm sorry I don't have an interesting enough accent. Maybe my Wisconsin accent will come through. Uh, I'm sharing with you a wonderment I have. I'm wondering how you guys feel about coexisting. Uh, that's something I've wondered for a long time. How do we coexist? with atheists? How do we coexist with Muslims? How do we coexist with those of the uh, the Jewish faith and community? I feel like I'm doing just fine with it, and I've got people from all walks of life in my life. Um, but recently, some um, in my experience of coexisting with fundamentalists, I've been told that it's not enough, according to some people in my life, to just coexist and to do good works side by side with them, that I should be professing the fiery depths of hell and um, all that it truly means to be a Christian. And so I'm wondering what your response is to that. Um, I feel, again, like my coexisting is going very well. But um, there are people out there in the world that would disagree with me. And so how do we do that? And... um, and am I being a Christian? Am I uh, holding that label of being a Christian? Am I um, doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, if I simply do, if I simply walk the walk and not always talk the talk, um, I've been told that Jesus didn't just sit with the outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He also professed the. Um, the love of God. Um, and so how do I do that? Uh, and so thanks sandbox cooperative. Love you guys. Bye. So it was all the way back in episode 45. We interviewed a guy by the name of Roger Woolsey, the author of the book kissing fish. And he talked about a survey that he conducted in Boulder, Colorado a few years back. 
He went out for a couple of days on a busy weekend and surveyed people on the famous Pearl Street Mall. And I love the Pearl Street Mall in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> it's an awesome place. Yeah. And he, and he asked two basic questions. Have you ever heard of conservative Christianity? Almost everyone said yes. And then he asked, have you ever heard of progressive Christianity? And only two people said yes. Two. I got to say, I was a little bit shocked when he told us that yeah, there you were know, like, only two people. You, you know, not as many people have heard of it, but two on a <laughs> busy weekend at this world famous right. spot. So anyways, I'd like to respond to Kelly first, if I could. Kelly, you are a terrible evangelical fundamentalist conservative Christian. <laughs> you're, you're actually one of the worst I've ever heard of. But to be be fair... I don't think that was the look you were going for, right? right? Look, the Christian stream, the spectrum, the bandwidth, whatever metaphor you're looking for, the Christian tradition is so much broader than one form or expression. And you asked if, if you are keeping the label Christian, right? And honestly, I, I can't answer that for you. That's your choice. But to me, it seems that you are in the Christian stream, but you can't feel like a bad or inadequate Christian because you aren't playing by the rules of the game that you were never playing in the first place. You are being judged by the rules of baseball, but you're playing tennis. Right. It's a, it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, you know, in so many ways, when I hear Kelly ask this question, I hear it's a little bit of a question about what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of people, you know, if you ask them that, you know, they might say, uh, believe in Jesus or believe what the Bible says or you know, whatever their phrase might be. Um, and, and for the people that Kelly's describing, you know, maybe the people that she's is having a little bit of this conflict with, um, it might actually be a very particular set of beliefs, including that it's really important to make sure that others are there with you. Right, <laughs> right. right. Um, but when I hear Kelly asking what it means to be a Christian as kind of part of her question, for me, that's less about particular beliefs. It's less about traditions or expectations it's more about how we relate to the story and tradition that we have. And as you said, Dave, that's a huge story. That's a massive, massive, massive mm-hmm. story. It's full of you know, thousands of years of different opinions, beliefs, and traditions. And it includes the Bible itself. It includes the story of Jesus in particular and all of the religious tradition and experience that surrounds that. Cultural traditions, uh, traditions that uh, are happening around the globe over the course of thousands of years. Right. So while everybody kind of has their own perspective about that and what that is and what's the right way to do that, for me, the idea of being a Christian is that one of the main places I go where I'm trying to make sense of my own experience and my own life is that story. Um, But there's, again, lots of perspectives to choose from, to make sense of, and to pick in terms of what you resonate with. Right. You know, so many people understand that it happens only in one way because that's their own experience. And it may be... It's conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist. But there are also progressive Christians, and there are different denominations and traditions and streams of thought. So again, as you said, it's so much bigger than we even give it, yeah. give it credit for. You know, we could also think about it like this, Seinfeld. I, <laughs> Logical transition. Lo- you know, naturally, you, everybody saw me going there. But yeah, Seinfeld. So Elaine's boyfriend, what was his name, Putty or whatever it was, he turns out he's religious and, and Elaine is just discovering this. And she says, so you're religious? And he says, well, yeah. And he, and she asked, do you have a problem that I'm not religious? He says, not a problem for me. <laughs> and she's like, why? I'm not the one going to hell. <laughs> so 
It's just, it's a classic, classic clip. And so if you're an evangelical, it makes me think, if you're an evangelical fundamentalist who isn't trying to convert others, even if it means scaring them a little bit, you're probably not doing your job right. Right. I mean, I think Elaine's boyfriend could have actually tried a little bit harder (laughs) on that. But by the same token, you know, look, if you're a progressive Christian who isn't open to caring and advocating and looking out for and loving your neighbor, regardless of who your neighbor is, Mm -hmm. you're not doing your job right. In short, we get in trouble when we start believing the myth that our world is the world. Stay open, trust yourself, offer grace to yourself and others, and hold things loosely. Yeah, you know, and and one of the things that happens often in in more conservative traditions is that there's a pretty, again, there's a pretty strict set of beliefs to adhere to. And within those circles, you can often hear the question, well, if you don't believe in X, doesn't the whole thing fall apart? Um, But on the other hand, one of the hallmarks of progressive Christianity is this continual learning and growth. It's this idea that God isn't done showing us things about our world and about each other. Um, It actually reminds me of a few years ago, I was at the Wild Goose Festival in North Carolina, and I was listening to uh, Michael Gunger talk about Mm -hmm. doubt. Um, If you don't know him, Michael is a musician and one of the hosts of the Literacy podcast with our friend Science Mike. Um, But while he was talking, Michael noted that um, for a while when he encountered doubt, which really was a time where his beliefs were changing, um, but when he encountered doubt, he tried to cling tightly to his older belief. And there's this strong sense of fear about and surrounding his doubts. And the fear that often came with his doubt was that he might float away down the river, kind of float away from this this thing. Um, But he posed an important question to us. He said, what if the river is good? What if it's better to float away, to be taken somewhere than to hold on too tightly? Uh, Because if so, then doubt is value. Uh, We can embrace and have confidence in the mystery of this God thing, Mm -hmm. right? That we don't Mm -hmm. really... We struggle with to know for sure anyway, so we can actually just live in that. Yeah. Um, and also trust that river to bring us somewhere. So as another answer, Kelly, to your question, um, it's not always easy to know what the right or wrong thing is, but I think it's always within the bandwidth of Christianity to believe that the river is good and that wherever you're, you are in it is okay. But you'll never be able to convince some people of that. Right. Sometimes you just have to... Move along. Like sometimes the conversation just isn't going to happen. Drop the conversation slowly back away. And that's that's okay. Yeah. Um, but another thing I think about when these kinds of conversations come up, you know, I've, I've heard some people ask, are all religions basically the same? By which they mean, but mine is really the right one, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Aren't we all sort of, or, and sometimes they mean, aren't we all just kind of right? <laughs> and, you know, both are are okay questions. Mm-hmm. I think there's maybe something a little a little deeper, maybe a different way of getting at that. So I think a question that we we could ask is, how can we think about the validity, importance, and truth of other traditions? Mm-hmm. So when I think about that, and when I think about Kelly's question, um, Kelly, I'm assuming that you find some wisdom in the beliefs of your Jewish and Muslim friends. And although it might be even harder, even, even in your fundamentalist friends, <laughs> right. um, I think that's a really important thing to pay attention to. Because if someone else's beliefs seem valuable or helpful, it's probably because their experience has helped them to develop those beliefs that are valuable. And if part of that experience is a religious tradition that sets up an environment for helpful beliefs to exist, then it's valuable. We might not all agree on what's actually true, but I think most would agree that if someone's beliefs lead them to do good in the world, then their beliefs are on some level good. And if we can find shared value in something that is different or new to us, I think we're on our way to a healthier version of coexisting. I know we've talked about this before. I imagine it might be true for Kelly too, 
discovering the wisdom and the truth in other traditions can actually help us be more faithful to our own tradition, find more value and richness there. Which raises another interesting question. What do the fundamentalists have to say to us? I have people who I highly value but wholeheartedly disagree with (laughs) on matters of Christian faith. They have an important contribution to the conversation too. It's easy to point the finger at someone else and blame them and say that they're wrong, but there is usually something to learn about ourselves and even even to challenge us. Uh, yeah. You know, when I, th- when I think about that question, I mean, to, to seriously answer it, um, the thing that I think fundamentalists have that, that sometimes we can, we can lose in maybe other streams of, of the tradition mm-hmm. is uh, a sense of that it matters or that it's urgent. Um, right. Certainly that shows up in other places, right? I'm not, it's not exclusive, but <laughs> that, uh, that kind of Bible thumping, like, do you know where you're going to be, right. you know, if you died tonight? Um, <clears throat> I, obviously I don't, I don't buy that. Right. But I think there's something about the fact that it's important and it changes the way that we react and respond and live in the world. And so if we can take that nugget of, mm-hmm. of it's important and it matters yeah. and it means something, I think that can change the way that maybe we respond based on the way that we understand the tradition. Right. And it, to me, it feels like purpose. They're, they are all in and they are living this on purpose. And like mm-hmm. you said, it matters. Yeah. And that's something I, I take a lot of inspiration from from that idea, even though I it feels misplaced to me. I think about... Uh, years ago, there were these NUMA videos that, that Rob Bell used to put out, and yeah. it was the bullhorn guy. Mm-hmm. And it was the guy with the bullhorn at the concert. We've all seen this guy just yelling at people that they're going to hell and stuff. And, and you know, the idea is, yeah, you're not doing any favors for the <laughs> brand, man. You know, put, put, <laughs> right. put the bullhorn down, okay? Uh, but then once you put the bullhorn down, you know, I, I can say, yeah, that's right. Put the bull. But what am I doing? Like, mm-hmm. what am I doing to live this thing, live this love, put this love into circulation, which is where my, you know, my take on Christianity is rooted there. How am I living that out on purpose and and with the same kind of uh, ferocious way that <laughs> this guy with the bullhorn is right. in his own particular stream? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as I'm just thinking about Kelly's question again, another, another thing that I kind of hear her asking is, how do you choose the right thing in a complicated situation? Um, part of the thing that that Kelly might be seeing here is that exclusive theologies are often built on the idea that one person or group is somehow better and usually by being more accurate in one way or another, right? You mentioned Rob Bell, but in our interview with him a couple of years ago, uh, I just remember that he said, uh, any system that creates a wall between us and them is a system that Jesus would say, it doesn't work like that. And I think that's really important. So the more exclusive we get, the more we bump up against those lines. And I think that could be part of Kelly's challenge, right? She's trying to sit in the middle of of being open and not mm-hmm. wanting to to be exclusive, but also not wanting to include kind of an exclusive theology, right? Right. Uh, that's a challenging spot to, to sit. Um, the thing I might say, though, is that if you're trying to be yourself and still be loving of people who are different from you, you're on the right track. Even if you think you're doing it poorly, even if it's hard, um, being open but having a hard time accepting something that seems wrong to you is just part of the tension that's natural when we bump up against our own impulses, our own lines, our own beliefs. But that's also part of being in it together. Right. And And I think the context of relationship really changes these types of conversations. I mean, if you're getting clobbered by someone for your beliefs, but you have no connection to them, the bullhorn guy, right? You have no connection to this person and, and, and they're just letting you have it. 
that's really more about them than you. You, you, you can honestly, you can let that person go. It's okay to ignore mm-hmm. it. However, if you, if you do want to have that conversation, uh, developing that relationship first probably puts you in a better place to be able to understand each other. Um, one of the things about coexisting well is not buying into the larger narratives that exist in our culture about who's in and who is out or who's good and who's bad. But in order to do that, we're going to be better off if we reach out and connect in a way of understanding and relationship first. The hardest part in all of this, I, I think, is that we have to keep being ourselves. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't and and actually can't <laughs> do anything other than that. Um, so if it doesn't feel right to subscribe to an exclus- exclusive form of Christianity, you, you don't have to. Um, it doesn't mean you don't wrestle with it from time to time. But part of the thing that we do as humans is just keep living. We keep working with it. We keep molding it and we keep making it up. Right. I mean, it's all wrapped up with coexisting. As, as Kelly says, what if we need to walk the walk and talk the talk? What if sharing love goes beyond the typical constructs that we often hear about? There's this, a popular quote. It's uh, I've seen it on bumper stickers, t-shirts, and, and all kinds of different things. And it says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. It's falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but I like the impulse. Unfortunately, to me, it sets up a false dichotomy. Actions, good. Words, bad. Words are powerful. They're important. They can change hearts and minds. But sometimes words pretend to be gospel or good or loving, and they just aren't. Sometimes words don't have integrity because they aren't backed up with any action or impulse. But thinking about that for that quote, though, uh, St. Francis actually did say this. It's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. I like that better. It avoids the dichotomy, the dialectic. It shows an integrated approach to living one's mm-hmm. core values. And, and that, that distinction is important. But I think the impulse behind both of these quotes and the reason that they resonate with us is because they challenge us as Christians to step out from behind the words of our privilege and into action in the world. Yeah. It, author uh, Jamie Arpin Ritchie said that Christian privilege has compromised our authority and credibility as the world has watched. When survey after survey finds that people associate Christians with being small-minded, bigoted, homophobic, hypocrites... <laughs> That might be a problem. Like the list is just it's getting started, I think. Yeah, that's a problem. And Arpin Ritchie argues that these quotes challenge Jesus followers, as he wrote, to rediscover the radical life of peace, grace, and love that was characterized by Christ and seek to live it. Perhaps then, he writes, in the light of a community of believers known for humility and love rather than self-righteousness and bigotry, The words we proclaim will carry the credibility and authority worthy of the Christ that we follow. In the end, Kelly, it really comes down to Mr. Rogers, doesn't it? You saw that coming. I know you did, right? It's like this, Mr. Rogers. Now, okay, I'm talking about the PBS children's television host, not Aaron Rogers. You said that you're a Packer fan, right? I just want to be clear here. Mr. Rogers from PBS was an ordained Christian pastor. But his career wasn't spent all robed up in front of a church. It wasn't spent holding a sign and a bullhorn and handing out religious tracts on a street corner. He was a children's television host who never talked about God, Jesus, Bible, church, and so on. 
and yet he was completely authentic. He encouraged us to be who we are and taught that whoever you are, you are enough. He taught everyone every day how to love the other, how to love your neighbor. And after all, loving our neighbor as ourself, that's what Jesus taught us to do, right? Does this make him a good Christian? I think of it all like this. When some people talk about the love of God, they really seem to be talking about the judgment of God. But in the gospel, according to Mr. Rogers, you are good just as you are. So bring more of it. Bring more of yourself, your most authentic self to the conversation. See what is special, unique, and good in your friend and neighbor. Then hold it all loosely, have some grace, and enjoy time in the neighborhood. If that's good enough, what might it look like for you to trust what you have, share it, but also be open to relationship and receiving what others have to offer? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. And a special thanks to Kelly for her question today. If you'd like to share something that you also wonder about, shoot us a message via social media. You can email us at podcast at sandboxcooperative.com or leave a voicemail at 507-722-1086. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And if you want to stay up to date with all the things that we've got going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. You can also rate and review us on iTunes and join us in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there's always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see ya. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox. 